self-echo now. That's fantastic. Isn't it brilliant when just the Holy Spirit just comes in and just starts ministering to us and just speaks to us through words and prophecies, and it's absolutely amazing. We shouldn't just think that it's for Sunday mornings. That's the worst thing. I think we, sometimes we just come and we just go, hey, God's going to speak to me today. Hurrah! What about Monday? Oh, well, he doesn't speak on Mondays. Anyhow, back in January, you may remember, welcome everybody, welcome to everybody. Back in January, we decided to look at a passage in Matthew's Gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, basically the first 11 verses, now hopefully it's going to go on the screen just there. And I thought it would be nice for us all to um, read it together. So I'm just going to go, all right, thank you. So uh, can we all see that? Am I in the way? Do I need to duck down? Yeah, I'm in the way. Fantastic. <laughs> all right, so why don't we all read this together? I know you've done some singing, but it's nice to read the Word of God. Already? After three, four. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Fantastic. And today we're going to be looking at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, as well as, yeah, well done. As well as having the verse on the screen, it's always been accompanied by a picture of a tree in full leaf. There it is over there on that hillside. And it's here to represent a flourishing life, a life that is full, a life that is just keeping on going. So it's a flourishing life. But if, when you leave today, <laughs> and you walk or drive home, you'll notice that the majority of trees, especially the deciduous ones, haven't got any leaves on yet. They haven't got any leaves. And they all look so pretty much the same. And unless you're a tree expert, you probably wouldn't be able to tell one from the other unless you're a bit mental and have them all labelled in your garden. It's all right. I know people like that. Everything's labelled, so I know what they are. You probably wouldn't be able to tell if there's anything wrong with them either. You could look at it and think, that is a strong tree. And you'd only get an inkling once the leaves have started to come out. Take the example of an 80-foot ash tree that is in one of the gardens where I work at. You would look at it and you'd say, that is a strong tree. That is a magnificent tree. 
able to stand the frequent gales that blew along their garden especially and uh, it would be uh, be able to stand all the extremes of weather but for the last few years we've noticed that there has been something wrong with this tree the leaves although they've come out they'd shrivel up much earlier than normal ash trees would do Large branches would just have a habit of just falling off randomly, which is a bit dangerous when I'm mowing underneath it. And it did just you could just tell something was just not right. So a closer inspection uh, revealed down the base of the tree, so we're talking about a trunk that's probably about this, this wide, 80 foot, um, down the base of a tree was a small hole. And in this hole, what you could do, you could get a three-foot cane and you could just push it all the way through. Just push it, and you could waggle it around a bit. So you have to be four foot, so it's a waggled all around a bit. But it just revealed through a tiny hole that this tree had no heart. There was nothing in the middle of this tree. It was dead from ground to however high up. So an 80-foot ash tree has now become a 25-foot stump. And all that's hanging on it, the only bit of life, is an owl box. And that's it. And it's just there. It's dead completely. In a scathing attack direct, directed at the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23, 1-36, you can read all about that. But in verse 27, Jesus says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Didn't pull his punches, did he? The scribes and the Pharisees were more concerned about what he was doing on the outside. They were more concerned about the Jewish traditions that said, what you've got to do is this. You've got to be seen to be doing that. They overemphasized the external purity of people. So long as you gave your offering, so long as you went to the synagogue at the right time, so long as you said so many prayers during the day, and so long as you observed the other 600-plus laws that they made, you was fine. That's all that mattered to them. You was, had to be seen to be doing the right thing. In the total contrast, in this verse in Matthew, Jesus is saying, guys, surprisingly, you're wrong. Surprisingly, hey, how many times would you've got it wrong again? 1 Samuel 16, and this is where, um, this is just before David is chosen to be the next king. And Samuel comes along and God says to him, right, I've got all these sons of um, Jesse that you're going to go through, and I'm going to choose the one which will be the next king. I'm going to, be da I'm going to choose David. But the Lord, so they, so they all come in along, and the uh, first one comes along, and it says, Samuel's going, this has got to be the guy. This has got to be the guy. But the Lord said to Samuel in verse 7, do not look on his, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, 
because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's scary. That is scary. God looks at our hearts. He looks at every motive, every action, every thought from your heart. He doesn't look, he's not bothered about if you're wearing designer clothes. You're not, that's fine. So he's not bothered about your designer clothes. He's not bothered if your rich is beyond compare. He's not bothered whether the latest iPhone has come out and you've got it. He just doesn't care anything about that. He looks at our hearts. And now that becomes even more scary because it forces me. When I realize that, it forces me to look at my heart. It makes me look at what am I doing? Why am I doing that? What motives am I doing it out of? And that scares me because all of a sudden I come back under the law that the Pharisees are giving us. They're just like, do all them laws, you'll be fine, Trev. You'll be all right. Just look after 600 of them laws. Brilliant. It's almost like I'm living my life under their laws, under somebody else's laws. All I can say is this. Thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. Jesus didn't come to put more rules on us. That was one thing. He just didn't come to put any more rules on us. He came so that ordinary people, the people that he looked out at on that mountainside, you and me, everybody ever since, he came so that we could come into a relationship and have a direct access to God without going through this law, without trying to satisfy that law, without doing this. And Jesus said, look, I, look, Trev, got it wrong, mate. You're not under law. You're now under grace. Go and live your life. I think sometimes we're too frightened to live our lives because of what other people might think. Hey, Trev, you're a Christian. Yeah, but you can't do that. Blimey. Just go and live your life. Romans 8, 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, there's no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free. He has set you free. In Christ, you are free. He set you free. He set me free from the law of sin and death. So now that I'm not living under law, but living under the law of grace, does that mean that my heart is all of a sudden pure? No. <laughs> no, it just didn't work like that. In David in Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and who loves to meditate on them all day long. But there are many Psalms where David says, Yes, I can do that, God, but would you just clear the earth of the wicked? Would you just clear them people out that are persecuting me? Wouldn't you just get rid of that lot over there? Wouldn't that be great? 
<laughs> if we're honest with our lies, wouldn't it be so much better? Wouldn't my heart, your heart even, be so much purer if some people weren't around? <laughs> There's quite a few nods going on here. This is this is it. And we know we know we're talking. People who just wind us up from day to day. Just people on a daily basis just wind us up. Just go, God, get rid of them. That'll be fine. How about people who just notice when you do something wrong, Steve? They just go, mate, that's it. Let's get rid of you. That that's that's done. People who would just go on and on and on and on and on about stuff. They just go, really, it doesn't matter. It's not a major thing, but they just insist on telling you every little detail. People who would just get in your way. We're going up to Southport next weekend, the M5 and the M6, Lord. Just clear them out of the way. That'll be fantastic. Just wipe them off the earth. And my, my <laughs> we're just, just yeah. I'd love in my car, I'd love a little like uh, laser button that just, you're in my way, zap them, and they move over to the hard shoulder and just stay on the hard shoulder for like 10 minutes. You're like a sin bin when they're doing ice hockey. The sin bin, shh, get off. Oh, fantastic. My journey up there would be so much better. Oh, when cyclists. Ah, oh, tell you what, whoever, invent, whoever invented Lycra, oh my word. Yeah, cyclists, I just oh, they're the pain in the, the pain in summer for me. They just get off the roads, get off the pavements, go somewhere else, go to <laughs> especially get off the pavements. Just take your time with, just pay your taxes and pay your road tax. That's be much easier. But that's my personal agenda. So what I usually ask Karen to do is just open the door as we're going past these ones. Yeah, don't just knock them off. But they'd be fine. But yeah, we're all going to mess up. So, so you know my heart's not pure. <laughs> we're all going to mess up. It's so, it's, we're human. We just mess up. And David at times messed up in his life. I'm going to keep referring on back to King David, but he messed up in his life. And he was honest though. He was just so honest. I mean, sometimes I just feel you can't be honest. Oh, somebody gets upset again. Oh, really? Anyhow, there we go. That's mine. That's mine. Got that off my chest. We're fine. But we're living under grace. And we've also got a new standard to live by. That's what God has called us to. So I was having to think about the things that we can get which are pure. Uh, you, you can add to this list if you want. You can get pure water, pure oil, milk, pure gold, pure coffee, pure alcohol. I mean, it'll kill you, but it's pure alcohol. You can get pure new wool, pure sunlight. But they've all got one thing in common. They used to be that. Now they're this the common thread, they went through a process of filtration. Alcohol is basically just wheat and potatoes if you're in Ireland, but it's just, a, it's, it's changed from that to become that. Coffee was a bean, and now it's changed from that to become that. Milk 
I don't know how cows do it from grass to garden. It comes out the other end and it's fine. But then we stick it through pasteurization and sterilization and whateverization. And it's just like, so it's gone from that to become that. Gold goes through a furnace. It started as a lump of dirty rock with some rubbish in it, and they just shove it in there, heat it up to a degree where the scum floats on top. And then they scrape that up, keep on boiling it, scrape that up, keep until it becomes like a mirror, until all the impurities have gone from it. But it's a process that we come into Christ and he starts that with us. Our hearts don't all of a sudden become pure because usually of other people. But it's just like, no, God, I'm after you. So filter everything through Jesus. In Christ, we're no longer under a law like the Pharisees. They Their laws wrap themselves around the hearts of the Pharisees and they bound them until Jesus says the dead, the dead inside. You're just doing something external. You're so dead inside that it's not actually happening for you. Our filter, who we put our thoughts, our deeds and our actions through it's the one person that hung on a cross. The one person that came, lived, knew everything that we was going through, was betrayed, hung on a cross, died, rose again like we've sung, defeated death, and now sits in glory. And everything we do, when we get to stand before God, we say, God, would you look at me? through him would you look at me not andrew but would you look at me through jesus filter everything my whole life because really i trusted in him i know i messed up i know i did things but it's because of him that you love me so much so who was Jesus talking about when he said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God? Well, I think, this is just me, it's, uh, as he looked out on that crowd on that hillside, I think he probably saw people who were just so tired of all the religious laws. I think he just saw people and he looked into their hearts and went, they're the people because they're trying to do their best. But other people are just shoving stuff on them to not make them feel free. So what can I do today? If I was on that hillside and Jesus just said, blessed are the pure in heart. Would that be you? Would that be me just going, you know, I've tried my best, God, but because of all that, I'm just getting bogged down. Would you just release me, God? Would you release my heart from all of that so that I can come to you? 
I just came up with a few things. There's no particular order. I think firstly, in Christ, we need to recognize areas in our lives that do need working on. I can put my hand up and go, that, cyclists, yeah, that's be fine. I can put my hand up and do, that needs working on, my heart needs working on. And I think a lot of the time, men struggle with this because we don't want to be seen as weak. We don't want to be seen as I need help. Can you just help me in this? While we was away a few weeks ago, uh, one of the normal things is to have a TV, every TV on. And um, one of the, uh, <laughs> while I was eating, one of the um, family dramas on TV uh, was brilliant. So, <laughs> well, not that brilliant, but it was just on and we kept looking at it. And so, you know, when somebody says something and then you just stop and you're left to actually try and work out what they're thinking. So Karen, well, Karen usually says to me, you know, and I go, no, fill me in a bit more detail. Well, you know, she did. No, I don't. You're just going to have to start right at the beginning on this one. I'll get to the person. Well, on this TV show, it's brilliant because if Steve had said something, and then, and then the camera went focus on you. I know. Instead of me trying to work out what he's thinking, they put the caption underneath. So it's just like whatever you were thinking came up, saved me an awful lot of problems, because it just means that I now know what that person's thinking, and I can just get on. But some people just stop in the middle of things, and they just go. I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. I'm not telepathetic. And it's just, well, pathetic, yeah, but I'm not. It's just like that. I just don't know what people are thinking. See, that's on TV. That was brilliant. I loved it because it just saves me a lot of bother. I can't see what's going on in your hearts and minds. I really can't. You can't see what's going on in mine. Connect group, you just don't know where I'm coming through sometimes, do you really? It's just if you did, you wouldn't be coming there next week. <laughs> oh, it's prayer week next week. You get a week off. You'll be fine. Um, I don't know what's going on. I really don't. But if your outward appearances and your outward actions are anything to go by, if mine are, if on Sundays and connect groups were different people from Saturday to Wednesday and then Thursday to Saturday again, if we're different people than what our faith is saying we should be, somewhere along the line we've got it all wrong. It needs a bit of work. In the book that accompanies this, um, Guy Miller uh, he basically comments on this beatitude saying, don't be artificial. And he compares it to how glorious artificial flowers look. You can go buy them, silk flowers, they're, they're all right. But they're not real. There's no life. And surprisingly, the most artificial flowers are placed on graves. You buy, and it's just 
So you're putting something dead which looks lovely, but it's dead on something that's dead. Don't let your Christian life and your secular life be two different things. God's looking at our hearts. God wants authentic, genuine followers. Hearts running after him in the church and out there in the scary world. Secondly, in Christ, we need to realize that we're called to be in the world, not of the world. That famous verses, but I chose this one. 1 John 2, 15 to 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Can I just make a point here? There's nothing wrong with male and female beauty. Nothing wrong with them at all. There's nothing wrong about prosperity. There's nothing wrong about wanting to climb a ladder to success. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. But it's when we desire them, when our hearts are captured by that, when our hearts are captured by that, and we desire them so badly that we'll do anything to possess them. King David knew all about this. 2 Samuel 11, we can read that he saw Bathsheba bathing. Could have been so different, and he just went, oh, woman bathing, turn me on. That'd be fine, but he didn't. He didn't do that at all. His eyes lingered. He avoided turning around. His thoughts turned to desires. Wow, she's good. His heart stirred up powerful emotions that basically said, I want her, I don't care what it's going to cost. And it cost her husband his life. Because David said, I don't care, I'm having her. Now put her husband on the front line. So long as he dies, that'll be fine. Galatians 5, 16 to 26 um, I'm not going to read it for you, but if you can, it, it describes the difference between fleshly, worldly desires and spiritual desires. In Christ, we have a different agenda than the world does. We place a different value upon things. Instead of chasing after these things, we chase after God. We chase after God. God. It's so, I was doing the shopping yesterday or whichever day it was, and this, this guy was just saying, do you realize 40 people are going to be millionaires tonight? And I was like, oh, 40 people, get your tickets, get your tickets, and this is it. It's just like, part of me went, oh, I could do a lot with a million, couldn't I really? But I bet it won't be me. <laughs> and it's just like, where do we place our trust? Where do I place my trust? Do I place my trust in a God who says and promises, I will provide everything for you? There's a verse, seek first the kingdom of God, and he'll look after you. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and he will look after you. Or do we trust in the world? Choice is ours. Nobody makes it for us. Choice is totally ours. Thirdly, do what Jesus tells us to do. Back in the Old Testament, Moses, after spending time with God, came down the mountain with Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments. Obviously, this was just too much to remember. So he went, hey, let's just do it as two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and mind. This is the first great commandment. Second is similar. Love your neighbors as you do yourself. If our hearts are running after God, then that's what he commands. Love me first before your world. Love others. It's about getting our priorities in order. God first, others second, me last. Do it all in love. 1 Timothy 1.5 says this, The goal of this command is love, which comes from pure heart, a good, conscious, and a good consciousness, and a sincere faith. Scribes and the Pharisees were all about keeping people down. Their whole ethos was, so long as you're doing that, you'll be fine, but I'm going to give you another 500 laws just to make you unhappy. It's not the outward actions that God says, that's what we've got to do. It looks inside. He looks inside at our hearts. Want a pure heart? Does anybody want a pure heart? I do. Do you want a blessed, flourishing life? Put both hands up to that. Then love God with everything you've got. Love God with everything you've got. Not just certain areas. Everything that you've got. Fall in love with him. Fall so in love with him that he's, he captures your heart every morning when you wake up. Forget about chasing the things of the world. Be real. Be genuine. Be authentic. This is a big one. Be genuine, real, authentic with yourself. Because we can quite easily put a false face on tomorrow morning when we get up. Everything's all right. Be authentic with yourself. Be authentic with others. Because they're the people who are looking at us. They're the ones that will just go, oh, well, I can't find anything wrong in him. Wouldn't that be great? That the rest of the week somebody says, I cannot find fault. His heart is running after God. What greater promise can we receive for those with a pure heart? Blessed are the pure in heart, for you shall see God. I was just going to ask Jemima just to play something on the... Why don't we all stand there? I'm just going to read this for you. I think we're then going to go into uh, communion. Psalm 139, verses in Psalm 139 say, you know... God, you know me. You knew me in my mother's womb. You created me. You knit me together. You know when I sit. You know when I lie down. You know when I get up. You know when I eat. You know everything about me. 
But right at the end, it says this. So pray this in your hearts with me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any, absolutely any, grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. In your name I pray.